make your house your home now. It's just as valid to have a house that feels like home when you're single. I don't mind if there's not application because I can tell myself what to do. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Gerilyn, and welcome to the very first episode of Old Maid, a podcast about living a faithful Christian life in a very married church. This season, I talked to women and asked them to answer questions like, what was the journey that led you to singleness? How do you find your place in a very married church? And based on your experience, how would you advise other single women? Why? Because simply, I don't think Christian women are taught how to be single. I wasn't. I was taught how to date and get married and have kids. Singleness, if we talked about it, was something you got through on your way to marriage. But in 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul says, Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Oh yeah, and Jesus was also single. So if both our God and the guy who wrote most of the New Testament were single, then I feel we must conclude that singleness is something far better than a consolation prize. And I hope that listening to women tell their stories of singleness, you'll be encouraged and perhaps instructed in your walk with Christ. In this episode, my sister Jessica and I got together to talk about our singleness journeys to give this podcast some context. Jess and I grew up as the oldest and second oldest in a homeschooled Mennonite family. Now, when I say Mennonite, don't think bonnets and buggies, not that kind of Mennonite. Think evangelical. Solid Bible teaching church, for the most part. Kind of conservative. Definitely traditional gender roles. We both live in Manitoba, Canada. I'm 29, single, and a journalist. Jessica is 30, an insurance broker, and she's married now. But for almost a decade, we live together as single women, so our, I think our perspective is pretty similar. What was your expectation of marriage or adult life when you were young? Mm-hmm. I know for me, like because mom had gotten married at 19, at least as a youngster, then I'm like, oh, but then people get married at 19. Right. That's when you get married. <laughs> when yeah. I get 19, then I will be married too. And like people who are married at like 21, it's like, oh my goodness, they, all the way, they made it all the way to 21 and they're married. <laughs> so yeah, I guess in my mind, it's like, okay, you get married young. And then, I mean, I think I would have known as a young person that not all moms stayed home like our mom did. But I think at least as I got into my older teens, that would have been what I wanted anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, I think like my view of marriage as a child or probably was similar at first, like knowing that mom got married when she was 19. So, okay. So then when you're 19, you could get married, you know, but I think, um, something that shaped for me when I was in youth as a teen, and then a couple of my female youth leaders got married and I knew their ages, they were like 25 and 28, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like, oh, okay. Like people don't all get married at the same age. Some people like, you know, live a fair amount of single life before they get married, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that became real to me a bit more. Um, And then I think I essentially put myself on that kind of timelines, like uh, 25 to 28, somewhere in there, it'll probably happen for me. Right. Yeah. I mean, of course, as as when you're a kid, then you think that your your life is going to go exactly like your parents' life. Yeah. I don't remember if I had any timeline for myself when I was like 
late teens or not. But part of that might just be like, I was so shy that I, I think I knew it was sort of unrealistic that 19 was when I was going to get married. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Do you think that you felt like it was a certainty? I don't, I don't know if I thought about that very much. Like, I think I will have known, you know, some of our older great aunts and like, like, you know, they're, they're not married. Mm-hmm. They never have been and they never, you know, they, you know, and so I will have known that that was a, a fact for, for people or you think of a lady in our church who, you know, was older and not married ever. And, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so I think it would have been real to me that there was, there was variety. Mm-hmm. I think I would have assumed that I was getting married, but I, it would have been, I would have been aware that there was variety and I will not necessarily have given thought to what their stories were that caused them to remain single all their lives. You know, I, it wouldn't have occurred to me. Yeah. You know, that, that there was a story there. Yeah. I know, like, when I was starting to put together the podcast, and I was... I guess my mom had read the GoFundMe pitch that I had, and where I talk about, like, feeling like I don't have a lot of role models okay. of singleness, and she's kind of like, well, like, sure you do. Like, yeah. what about yeah um, the lady we knew as Aunt Wynn? Um, and yeah, our, we had some single aunties. And I guess like, you know, in, in some of our aunties case that we can still talk to them, but right. in other ones, I, I just never like thought about it when it was still a possibility to ask them. Right. Yeah. And there they were living out their single life in front of us. Mm-hmm. And we gave it really no thought, right? Yeah. And if we had given it thought, then maybe now I would have more of a... Uh, an image in my mind of what life could look like. But also, like, we only saw their outward life. Right. And we weren't close. And, well, we were too young in some ways. But, like, we didn't see what their day-to-day life looked like mm-hmm. um, as a single woman. And most of life is day-to-day life. So, like, us knowing that and when you know, invest a lot into kids, that was just one aspect of her life. And maybe it was a fairly big aspect, but... Well, seeing as she was a teacher, right? You know, mm-hmm. as a, her vocation. But then she was retired for a lot of years too, right? Yeah, and she was so, retired when we knew her. Yeah. Yeah, I think that when I was when I was young, I, I didn't even think about it. Like, I don't think it even registered. Like, those people were just, they were just there. Yeah. And you didn't th- I didn't think about their inward life at all. What was the journey that led you to being single? That was the second question I gave you. Of course, you're not single. But, um... I was. But you were <laughs> for quite a while. <laughs> until about a year and a half ago. Exactly a year and a half ago. Yeah. And our, our our single lives were very much intertwined. Yeah. If I think about, like, why... I, of course, being a, kind of an analytical person, I go into deep depth of, like, this is why I'm single. <laughs> right. It's because of this. It's because of this. For me, I think it would have started as being a very shy teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And being a little bit socially awkward. And it took a little bit to sort of assimilate into culture as being a homeschooled kid. At least for me, it did. Yeah, I think so. For me, too. And I think looking back, like, I'm I'm really glad I didn't get married straight out of high school. Oh, me, too. Like, it's just, I mean, everybody, all of us coming out of high school need to mature. And I think that maturing as a single person was the right thing for me. I think when I was young... I, I mean, I was definitely, I wasn't very confident around men or around teenage boys at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also had a complex of like, well, I'm not the pretty girl, so I'm not going to be able to date. 
I guess. Okay. And I guess maybe as a teenager, that kind of thing is almost as relevant as you think it is because teenagers are kind of notoriously shallow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. And we had youth group in church, basically, to interact with yeah. young men that were not our relatives. Yeah, and, and whatever. After that, we both went into the workplace, mm-hmm. and which was good. It's good for getting our feet under us as adults, but... I don't know. Like, I think in my case, I worked with women, actually, mm-hmm. for the first, well, for the majority of my working life, actually. I've just worked with women. Yeah. Not like you necessarily, whatever, on TV, people people get matched up with their coworkers. But other than that, it doesn't really happen that much, right? More so just the practice of learning how to live life with the opposite gender who is not your relative, mm-hmm. I think, in our case, right? Yeah. And for me, I worked with a lot of guys, but they were, uh, <laughs> they were very like rough and tumble, uh, blue collar guys. Uh, so it was a bit of a, maybe I guess a different experience than yours. Like I remember going into my first, yeah, I guess my first job and, um, like being surrounded by guys and like learning all kinds of unsavory things about guys yeah. within a very short time that I didn't necessarily want to know and now I just kind of like well this is just this is just life like language and jokes euphemisms the way that guys interact with each other how they treat other guys they perceive as inferior that was interesting to me too like there was one guy who was like picked on extensively hmm. because he was perceived as being i don't even know like i i, I socially awkward i don't know uh that was a very quick learning experience that i uh, after that i don't think i was afraid of or shy around guys anymore than they were just sort of like at least around that particular type of guy at that time we were both going to a pretty small church with guys we had either grown up with or were our relatives and then i would eventually move into quite a large church where my more introverted nature found it hard to make a wide circle of friends out of my outside of my small group i guess you would say Oh, right. And your small group was women. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I think something that plays a part in uh, staying single for a long time also is, I think, or maybe speaking for myself, is I think the things that we learned growing up about how romantic relationships start. Like, I think definitely whatever I expected that I would be asked out. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. I was not going to be doing the asking. Yeah. Right? Which is totally fine to to expect that and but that's definitely what i expected and i think also i would i will have had a bit of a picture in my mind of maybe an idealistic picture of what kind of man i would hope to date and not necessarily not necessarily very open-minded right so um that would certainly have been what i was thinking at the times like well because i believe this i don't have any opportunities because i can't make opportunities for myself right Right? Right. You know, and then, and then not to mention, I felt the pool was very limited of men who met the criteria that I had in my mind of Mm -hmm. idealistic criteria, right? Yeah. Yeah. And over time that changed, not because I was lowering standards necessarily, but more like changing my understanding of men. Mm -hmm. We also kind of grew up in the purity culture movement a little bit. Do you think that shaped your ideas? Oh, for sure. For sure. Definitely. Because I think it's what mixing together with my personality who like I just made me so cautious around guys Mm -hmm. that I didn't know how to act around them yeah 
Yeah. Especially if I found if I thought they were romantically a possibility. Not to mention like a certain aspect of of purity culture that makes men out to be sort of dangerous creatures. Yeah, that's true. Like I remember reading um, a book because I think mom and dad had it lying around the house, and it was a men's purity book. And reading about um, sexuality from a man's perspective was just like. <gasps> That's the way they think. What? <laughs> Which is not shocking anymore. But I was whatever I was fourteen or whatever, and uh, and then that just sort of only compounded that idea in my mind that like men are dangerous creatures, and I think I, I from the outside looking in, I think that purity culture makes men treat themselves like dangerous creatures. Oh, too. absolutely, they do. Yeah, that uh, yes, that's that's true from what I understand from men that I know. Anyway, yeah. I, yeah. it was it was to, essentially purity culture on on the men's side was made men really paranoid. Yeah, it was basically like you are only minutes away from slipping into the abyss. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Women cover up. <laughs> that was what we got. Women cover up. Don't let men touch you. Men uh, wear blinders everywhere you go. Tell the women around you to cover up. I just sometimes think now that some of the the men that are kind of on the fringes of my social circles that I can't quite get to know are partially that way because of some of that stuff. Like we're all still sort of stuck in that mentality of like if we mix too much then we will, then bad things will happen I guess. Yeah. Anyways, so moving on, like we... We lived together since we I was 18 and you were 19. I think for a while anyway, we kind of formed each other's family unit a little bit. Definitely. Definitely we did. I don't know if we necessarily provided nurturing for each other. Like there wasn't, like it was more like com- like companionship and also like having each other's backs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and um, yeah, sharing of household tasks. Like, it wasn't like the fridge was split down the middle and each of us had one half, you know, that kind of stuff. There was a level of accountability, like, where the other person knew where they were, where they were going to be, though. And having lived kind of in both situations now, there is, for me anyway, it's kind of a big deal to have someone who notices when, I come in, when I'm coming and going, who's just kind of around, even if they're not interacting with me. And I think also just someone having someone to do some of those tasks for. Uh, once I moved in with Jonathan, my youngest brother, then um, then I had more purpose to things like grocery shopping mm-hmm. and like cleaning up and mm-hmm. stuff like that because um, it was someone to do them for. Someone, yeah, who you, him being your little brother. Yeah. You know. But also when I lived with you, then there was purpose to like cooking, for instance. Right. Because this was, it wasn't just a contract, you know. Yeah. We were each other's family unit. Yeah. In fact, like, yeah, like I even had you as my, I found a few different, you know, forms I filled out over the years. Like you were my primary contact for if something happened to me or yeah. that kind of thing, and right? Same. Likewise. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that as life kind of went on, then I kind of slipped into a feeling of that was just the way life was going to be. Mm-hmm. Like I think when we, when I went back to school, then we talked a little bit about like, well, what if I get a job there? Like, would you move into the city? Right. And I, w- I was seriously considering it. Yeah. And uh, and that's kind of when our paths started to diverge. You met Justin and right. got married and I, and I moved on. Now that you've kind of seen a little bit of both sides of the coin. Right. Yeah. What would you say are the opportunities that singleness gave you? 
Well, definitely just like to figure out who I am on my own. Not to say like, I mean, if I had been married young, I would have become who I was together with someone else. Right. Right. But um, establishing my, getting my feet under me as, as my own person. And that was, yeah, that's, that's huge. And took a while, I think. <laughs> and I think independence was, was good to me, good for me learning how to do a lot of things that I like, like there's, there's things and whatever it's different in every marriage, but there's things that Justin just automatically does. And I would have done them mm-hmm. before. Right. Or you and I between each other would have discussed and one of us would have done them. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, yeah, that, that was very good for, for me to just have a general well-rounded knowledge of how, how to do a lot of things in life. A lot of practical things. You know, one thing that comes to mind is, um, the opportunities to to serve in the church and to be involved in various, in my case, it was committees and boards and, and uh, some community stuff. And that was, I want to be very, very careful when I talk about that as, a, as an opportunity for singles mm-hmm. because it ended up being uh, out of control for me. Yeah. So like early on, like probably in towards end of high school, you know, or shortly after I got out of high school, um, someone who was, who was older than me and who was, I think single at the time, um, had kind of said that they, because they were single, they had lots of time to do a lot of things in the church. Mm-hmm. And I kind of took that and went, okay, well then that, that's what I'll do too. You know? Yeah. It ended up being that it, the things I was doing in my church became my identity in that church. Mm-hmm no one knew me they just knew me for the things I did yeah I also burned myself out or came very close to it yeah and um my mental health ended up being really not in good shape by the time I was able to back out of some things I I think I think there are people who are single and have a decent amount of capacity and can do a lot of things and take advantage of not not having a primary person at home that needs their attention. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so it, I just, I don't want to say that it's a blanket advice for all single people. Oh, you should just be busy with a lot of things in the church mm-hmm. or in the community. However, there were many good things that I had opportunity to be involved in. Yeah. And they were all very shaping to me. Uh, gave me a lot of great experiences. And I met a lot of great people too. It, it's just that it's just that I committed to too, too much. Mm-hmm. yeah that's a whole different story is how I got out of a lot of these things for me like I left the the church that we grew up in when I was 23 or I think 24 and part of that was um just the need to like assert myself and start fresh somewhere else I think yeah because I was also very busy in the church like you were not maybe not to the same extent, but like teaching Sunday school, playing in a worship band, etc., etc. Yeah. And but at the same time, feeling like outside of those things that I did for the church, I did not belong there. Yeah. And I didn't have friends there, and that there was no one else there who was like on the same track as me. I guess. Mm-hmm. I ended up going to an, another church, and then being far less involved there simply because it was a really big church and they didn't need me all that bad. Right. (laughs) Um, yeah. As far as opportunities go, like, I guess, like, I guess going back to journalism school or going to school after 
at age 26 or whatever, would I have done that if I was married? I don't know. Like, yeah. I'm not married. <laughs> right. How would I know? If I had kids, then no. I don't think so. And yet some people do. And yet some people do. You know. But I, I don't think that I would have had the capacity to do that or, or necessarily the desire if I had kids. But if I was married without kids, then I could see myself doing that. So I, I guess, like, I guess you could say that not being tied down gave me some of the freedom to re- restart my career a little bit later in life than some people might. Mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of hard to say. What have the challenges been of being a single Christian woman? Lately for me, being lonely. But I wonder if that's just a little bit of a universal experience that no one can escape from. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, and depends on the season in life. I think we've touched on some of the challenges of our, our Christian single lives already. Yeah. And I think it would be fair to say, like, going back to being over-involved, I think that was actually a challenge of my single life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bought into that. Yeah, right? because I'm single. Because I'm single, I therefore should be doing all these things. Definitely also, like, just a desire for romance that was never happening. Mm-hmm. For the most part, I like, in my teens, I read like Christian romance novels. Mm -hmm, And for the most part, I cut that out when I was like 18 ish. I just felt like it kind of became apparent to me that they weren't healthy yet. They did form a foundation for me of what to expect for romance. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what I, you know, they formed an expectation to me that, you know, this is, this is what romance is. Yeah. You know, it wasn't happening for me. Right. Those, those novels, I think like really, I don't know if prey, prey might be too negative of a word, but like they really play upon a woman's desire to be like noticed for who she is, I think. Like I think in a lot of rom-coms you have sort of, there's like this, this classic type of like the, either the ugly ducking, duckling or like the quirky person or the, uh, the, the shy but beautiful woman or whatever right. who gets noticed and like sort of drawn out of her shell by the man. Right. This, I guess in my mind anyway, there's this idea of like, eventually someone will come along who loves me for who I am is kind of what I think about. Right. And will and who will draw you out. And who will draw me out or who will notice me preferably without any effort of my own. <laughs> well, and, and that can be woven together with one of the ideals that's talked about in some of the pockets of Christian culture that we have been in, you know, where, you know, the man is expected to pursue. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that those two uh, factors just weave together to create an expectation. Yeah. And whoever has read, at least I have never read a romance novel where it's the woman pursuing the man or making concerted effort to put herself in circumstances where she can develop relations, relationships organically, I guess. So I maybe couple that with a bit of a, for my part anyway, a bit of a shyer personality. I think that might have given me some of the wrong ideas Yeah. as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then one of the difficulties now anyway is like having a, a career and stuff and then having life, like life responsibilities is it can get a little bit harder to get out into like social, social circumstances where I can mm-hmm. like meet people. Right. Both male and female. Right. Because you only have energy for so much and there's no one necessarily taking things off your plate. Which is another one of those hidden things about singleness is there are, there are a certain number of tasks involved with running a household 
that a single person kind of has to do all themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless their relationship, like in, in, in your, your case and mine, when we lived together, we were roommates together. We did a certain amount of taking stuff off each other's plates, you know, like, it, and as far as household tasks, mm-hmm. in a similar way as to how a married couple would do that for each other, mm-hmm. right? But in many cases, as in singleness, you, you don't have that. And so you actually have to do either, you either find shortcuts or you're just, you actually have more household tasks, mm-hmm. right? I, I assume so. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my, that's how I would look at it. Yeah. I I wondered sometimes if the whole idea of the single person as having more time to serve is entirely true. Yeah, I don't think it is. I mean, I just, I feel like whether you're single or married or married with children or not, or whether you're older or younger, I think having things in life that make you tired and take your energy is valid, you know? Yeah. It, it is. And so if you're needing to put your feet up at the end of the day for whatever your reasons are, it's still valid. Yeah. And there, there shouldn't be a guilt complex saying you're single, you have more time, or you have less things calling your name. Therefore, you should be doing more things in the church. Or the idea that like single people are more selfish by nature because they don't have a husband or they don't have children or whatever to, to take up their time. Is that an is that a notion that you've ever thought of or had? I think it's, I think I think it I don't think it's true. I think it could be true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like really, like you could be selfish whether you're single or married. I I don't think there's a good Yeah, I don't think it's good to blanket any anyone yeah. that way. Yeah. So for for me anyway, being single can be like really emotionally painful. If you think back to when you were single. <laughs> yeah. Pre-Justin. Right. Um, how would you have dealt with that emotional pain? Yeah, I guess, I mean, like, I did have some rejection experiences, and they were painful. Mm-hmm. And they were repeatedly painful. Like, you know, you'd be reminded of them again, or or they'd come back into your face again, or whatever. I don't know if I dealt with them well, to be honest. I think journeying, journeying in faith and... Uh, actively keeping the lines of communication open with, with God and, and um, trying to look at life as a journey where a journey that God has you on. Yeah, I think, I think it's just my faith was meaningful to me and um, my relationship with God was meaningful to me. That, that was what was help, helped me be able to keep moving forward after, after rejection or after reminders of previous rejection. Mm-hmm. God has me in the palm of his hand and God knows what, uh, what I need in life or God knows where he has me on track for or where, where, where I'm headed or nothing's outside of his control or that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and so for me, journaling was very comforting. I guess essentially it was a prayer journal or, or a letters to God type of journal. And that was something that I always came to, to came to for comfort. And I think in my case, like one of the things has been having a reasonably strong sense of purpose for the way that my life is now. Mm-hmm. Um, having gone through the journey of going back to school and getting a job and realizing kind of, hey, like I'm good at this. And seeing some of the opportunities that came out of that then gave me a bit of meaning in the singleness of it. If I had been married or like settled down, would that have happened? I, I kind of doubt it. Yeah. And, um, or in general, like if I had been happy, <laughs> if I had been happy where I was, then that might not have happened. Right. And, and having that, the flexibility to move around the way I have in the last little while 
has created opportunities that kind of further that purpose. So seeing like in hindsight, how my life circumstances set me up to do what I'm doing now mm-hmm. gives me a bit more faith that, that not only am I not where I am now because I've made a mistake along the way and like, I'm right. Being, yeah. I'm being punished. Right. But also that, that if that set me up to get here, then where I am sets me up to be somewhere else and somewhere else where God wants me and not just somewhere else worse than I am. And then there's also like, I having like, Spend a fair bit of time, like, crying to God about, like, I feel uh, unwanted and I feel uh, grief, I guess, over what I wanted to be and what I'm not. And then <laughs> kind of having God tell me, like, like, I heard you enough now. <laughs> like, now start to be thankful for who you are and not ungrateful because you you don't have just this one or two things that you, you want. So like being grateful for my life the way it is, instead of always worrying about what it's not, has been quite meaningful as well. Not to say that that's something on a day-to-day basis that I find easy, but that has been quite meaningful for me mm-hmm. to spend time thanking God for, for what I've got. My own experience suggests that churches are geared toward married couples and their kids. What has your experience been with this? And how have you found your place in your local church? Yeah, I mean, I think um, at least in the churches and circles that we have been in Mm -hmm. in our lives, which is a a smaller evangelical Mennonite, I think there's there's always been pressure for single people to get married. And there's a certain amount of, how would you say it? Like, kind of like, it's kind of, it's kind of portrayed as the, the natural family with husband and wife and children is God's premium design or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, f- I feel like as a single, I didn't fit in because I wasn't in a standard family. I think initially it just, it didn't make me an adult. I was probably, I was still, I was like a sub adult. Yeah. <laughs> I think. <laughs> and then I think eventually in my church journey, I was, I, I did feel like I was looked at as an adult, but I still didn't have a category. Like I never got invited over to anyone's house. Whereas I assumed that families or couples would have gotten invited over, you know, cause I mean, then the man has someone to talk to and the woman has someone to talk to. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> slightly cynical there, but I think that's, is sometimes the I, mentality. Right. Yeah. I think it kind of is. Yeah. The whole like not having a category to fit into has been kind of one thing that has stuck in my craw a little bit. Like that shouldn't be that way. Like that just sort of general sense of that shouldn't be that way. And the, what, what I typically see is that the, um, Single people up into their 40s <laughs> get stuck with the young adults because they have nowhere else to go. And uh, like personally, I've kind of started rejecting that where I don't really go to young adult things at my church because I'm like, well, I'm not a young adult. Like I'm I'm 29. Right. Yeah. No, I, I have. Was, I was doing that too. I time. have a career. I don't have a home, but I don't live with my parents. Yeah. I think it was around, around, um, it was, I think it was Remembrance Day. I went to, I did go to a young adult thing because some of the older adults, the couples my age <laughs> who were hosting it <laughs> would be there. Right. Uh, and uh, I was joking with them that if you spent your, the, the evening before defrosting your sump pump hose, then you are not actually a young adult anymore. Yeah. <laughs> if you uh, if you had to go to Walmart to buy a dehumidifier in the last week, yeah, you are not a young adult. <laughs> so that is one of those things that's been tough to like not resent 
is that being lumped into the young adult because there's nowhere else to go. Not the young adult part so much because I don't like... Well, yeah, partially because like, oh, and I'm not a young adult. I, I'm a real adult. Um, but also just like the idea that there's nowhere for else for them to go. Although there are other people who feel that category too, just in talking, or sort of that lack of category, just in talking to some people like married without children. Yes, yes. And there are others as well. Like there's tons of people who don't actually have a category. Mm-hmm. You know. Widows? Yeah. Divorced people? Divorced people. Which that goes back to single, I guess. But it's different. Yeah, they definitely are not going to show up in the young adults. No. Because they're, they're divorced now. But... <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's been on my mind anyway. It's like, well, ain't nobody going to do it for me. Like I, I've had a discussion with, with church leaders at my previous church and, and, and he said what, I think what he said was valid, but I don't know if it's a good excuse. Mm. Uh, he said that they had tried to do young adult things for the older, not young adult things, single, few things for the single adults. Okay. And they all, (laughs) but there's so much tension of like. People wanting to date each other, that things get weird, which is a real shame. Yeah, like I, I to me that points to uh, some sort of defect in the way we've been socialized along the way. Mm-hmm. It's like if we can't just you know enjoy some platonic relationships, and obviously some people are gonna meet a- and start dating in a singles group, but the the, the tension of that should wreck their attempts at, at putting together a group where single adults can socialize with each other. Although even like of the people who lead a group like that, the rhetoric that they use will help or hinder the socializing of the group too. I think, I think it's helpful if you're going to be leading a group like that to straight up tell them, forget about meeting someone here. Like, I think it's okay to say Mm -hmm. stuff like that to a group like that and just put put those thoughts aside and let's just have fun together. We are all single here. Yeah. You know, that is not why you are here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. However, I think it's more important for instead of singles having a group of their own, which, uh, you know, it's in a sense, it's in a sense, it's great to be with other singles because you can all relate. Right. But what I think is more important is to be in a church community that is mixed Mm -hmm. and that embraces that. And I think that's what, you know, what our churches need to work towards. Um, and some are doing well and some are doing not so well. And further to that, I think it's going to happen organically or should be happening organically, not through programs. I think it's something that should happen from the bottom up, not from the top down, even though it could also go both ways. And that would be a good thing too. Well, from the top down, what little top down efforts I've seen, yeah, they haven't really come to much. The top down stuff that I've seen has been like the pastor preaching a sermon on singleness. Right. Or maybe even going as far as to like apologize for sidelining the singles or treating them as an inferior being. Yeah, which, which is not, I, a, not a bad thing. Which is not a th- bad thing to do. No, and I appreciate it. It is actually a helpful step. It's just that from what I've seen afterwards, it's like, well, and then life goes on. And we never hear about this again. Mm-hmm. And we go back to status quo of mm-hmm. sermons being, if there's application, the application is put toward like other personal or like family. I love how you say, if there's application. <laughs> And that's a whole other conversation about whether there's enough application and including a sermon. But well, anyway, no, like <laughs> I don't mind if there's not application because I can tell myself what to do. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now that you are, I'm going to frame this as now that you're a married woman. Sure. What advice would you give to younger single women? I think the thing that comes to mind is stop waiting for life to happen. 
Hmm. Because life does not start when you get married. It just changes, turns around a corner. Mm -hmm. That's really all it is. You, I think, I I look back, um, you and I, when we were kids, both were given a hope chest Mm -hmm. to put things into that we would one day use when we got married. Yeah. And that was, that was what we were told. You will one day use these when you get married. Yes. That's, that's what it was. I remember when you and I moved out for the first time out of mom and dad's place and we got our own place, you opened up your hope chest and started using stuff. Uh And I didn't. I slowly, over time, eventually started pulling some things out and being like, oh, I could use this. But for the most part, I kept it hidden away because it was like, that's for when I get married. Yeah. You know, and you in the meantime, all your stuff was used as far as I could tell. (laughs) You're pretty sure nothing of my hope chest remains, yes. Yes, you know, and that's that's fine. <laughs> it's one last thing to drag around when you're moving from place to place. Which we've done a few times. <laughs> but I, I think, I mean, I, I guess, okay, so now I'm married and I open up this hope chest and some of that stuff in there is still useless. And some of those things I have pulled out and now used. Uh-huh. Okay, I guess it's nice, but now it's just going to get used and in our house. Like, yeah. it's kind of whatever. Make your house your home now it's just as valid to have a house that feels like home when you're single i as a married person i'm in a house now that i i have a mortgage on and i me and my husband are making this into our quote forever home but we don't actually know that it's our forever home we just presume that it is and even so give us another 40 years and we'll be looking at moving out of this house you know, downsizing again, right? And so like whatever home you're in can feel like home and it can, for us or as married people or for you as a single person, the place that you're in, the season you're in, make it feel homey. Make it, um, you know, go out and buy decor that you like or, you know, make it a place that you're proud to show off. Don't feel, don't make, don't have a temporary mentality because one day you're getting married. Um, and I'm using the home as the primary example there, but it's, it is applicable to all areas of life. It's tricky because when it comes to career and stuff, like sometimes your mentality might be, okay, well, when I get married, I'd like to not be in a career because I'd like to be a mom at home. But if you have no prospect of getting married, you may as well have your career. But then on the other hand, you know, what if you're just investing all this into your career and then boom, you get married and then put everything like, so there, there is that wrestle with career. So I don't, I don't really know the answer with career, to be honest. Um, and some people get married and have kids and juggle career just fine as well. Yeah. You know, it it really varies quite a bit. So I don't know the answer in that, but I, I did find that the answer in the home was, Go ahead and make it homey. It, it's it's good for you to have a homey home <laughs> as a single person. Yeah. Don't put that on hold. I think if I was going to add advice, it would be to not consider yourself too good for the life that you have. The life that you have is the life that you have. You have it by God's grace. Um, just because you have what you don't have what you want doesn't mean you've been given a raw deal. It, it doesn't. Someone, I don't remember who said this, but they basically said, like, are you single? Then you have the gift of singleness. Singleness has been given, gifted to you. If you are married, then you have the gift of marriage kind of thing. Yeah, to be thankful for that whenever you can. And, like, I know that there are a lot of things about it that are really raw and painful. and Like, the feelings of rejection or maybe the feelings of grief. Like, I know I feel grief over the fact that I'm not a mom. But yeah, to look for things that you have and not spend so much time focusing on the things that you don't.
Old Maid is written and produced by Geraldine Witchers and is funded by generous donations from her friends and family. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Find and follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at Old Maid Pod to see pictures of interviewees and show production. 